It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest hits. C103. And a very good morning to you and those winds that we're talking about that are expected to reach gale force with some severe gusts this afternoon. This is all to do with Storm Gareth, which is set to batter Ireland this afternoon with wind speeds in some parts of the country going up to 130 kilometres per hour. The storm is going to lash the country with strong winds also, there's going to be a lot of rain, up to 25 millimetres of rain in some areas. And the storm, Gareth, if you are one of those people that follows storms, you can track it. It's actually tracking along and it's heading towards uh, Scotland. Now, the forecasters are saying that the winds could be potentially damaging. They could cause power outage. But there's three separate weather warnings have been issued for the duration of Storm Gareth, which is going to last from this afternoon until tomorrow afternoon. We've got a status orange wind warning, which is the second highest wind warning that met Aaron uh, issue. Uh, but we're going to escape that. That's the winds of up to 130 kilometres per hour. That's sort of going to be Donegal, Leitrim, Mayo, Sligo that sort of northwest of the country is going to get the worst uh, of it. The rest of the country, including us here in Cork, uh, met Aaron are placing us under a status yellow wind warning. But that's nothing to, that's not us to be smug saying we're going to be okay because we're not. That's going to be gusts of up to 100 kilometres per hour. There's also going to be high seas expected along the Atlantic coast. And again, as with the orange warning, it comes into effect from 12 midday today until 12 midday tomorrow. Now, the Road Safety Authority are already asking road users exercise caution when you're out driving during the storm. I mean, looking at it now, there's a lovely calm and you've got that sense of this is the calm before the storm but if you must drive this afternoon Road Safety Authority are saying expect the unexpected watch out uh, for falling falling or fallen debris on the roads watch out for vehicles can veer across the road control of a vehicle can be can be affected if you're in an area with very strong cross winds obviously high sided vehicles and motorcyclists are particularly vulnerable during strong winds like we are expecting today so look after yourself and actually you'd have to feel sorry for those across the water because in the United Kingdom met air and obviously this because this storm is tracking it's heading towards Scotland but it's going to go right in across uh, the United Kingdom in met air and the the UK met office have issued a danger to life warning for storm gareth that's got to be the highest warning that they can possibly give. So look, mind yourself. And if you've, best thing I think is, as always, whenever we get storms like this, is stay indoors. If you've anything to do, do it this morning while that calm is there. And then just uh, stay t- safely tucked indoors. 
uh, inside for the rest of the afternoon. 1850 coming up on the programme this morning. An increase in funding for home adaptation grants has just been announced. So the home adaptation grants, I think in the main, are used for older people and it helps older people to remain at home. It helps them to stay independent and it can be the difference between somebody getting the house adopted, it can be the difference between somebody staying in their own home or being forced to move into a nursing home or being forced to move into with another uh, family member. So it's a great scheme. It's run by the Department of Housing in association with the local council for in in our case, for many of our listeners, it would be Cork County Council. So we're going to hear about the grants today, who's entitled to apply, how you apply, how much you can apply for and what kind of work can you get done under the housing adaptation grants. As far as I know, you can get mobility aids as well. It's not just the physical structure of your house. There can be aids as well. So we'll find out a little bit more about that. And if anybody has a question to do with the housing adaptation grant, get it into us, please, ASAP, uh, because we're going to be dealing with that topic in a couple of minutes. We're also going to preview a new television series. It's the second series of Grow, Cook, uh, Eat. And this is really encouraging all of us to look at whatever little bit of space we have in our back gardens, whatever kind of, some people might have huge gardens, massive areas in which to grow fruit and veg. Others might have very small spaces. You might even only have a window box. But this programme, if you watched it for the la- in the last season, really shows that even in the smallest bit of space, you can grow food. And there is something wonderful about sitting down to eat a meal that is made up of items you've grown yourself and nothing, absolutely nothing tastes better than food you grow yourself. So we're going to speak with one of the presenters from the programme and the first in this, the second series is on tomorrow night and actually there's a feature on the wonderful farmers uh, market in, at Mahan Shopping Centre. So we'll hear more about that on the programme uh, today. And then yesterday we tried to get to an insurance interview but we, unfortunately Peter Boland, our guest, was on a train and the was breaking up too much so we couldn't do the interview so he's agreed uh, to join us today and this is to talk about the fact that the insurance companies the made the big insurance players in this country for the fourth consecutive year have made profits yet we're hearing from people that they are not seeing their premiums falling we know charity groups, we know community groups are really struggling when it comes to the public liability insurance that they have to get. How many times have we heard of charity events that simply cannot go ahead because somebody can't get the insurance that's needed? We nearly lost the St. Patrick's Day Parade uh, last year in Mallow. We were only talking about that yesterday only for the local Tidy Towns group jumped in and the parade was able to go in under the auspices of the Tidy Towns group and the insurance that they uh, have. But insurance can really cripple organisations. It's having a huge and uh, a, a devastating effect on small businesses. It's actually causing some small businesses to close up shop because they simply can't afford to cover the cost of the insurance and then bring it a little bit closer to home. If you drive a car, we all have to, we have to pay car insurance if you want to put a car on the road people are seeing premiums. Some people last year saw premiums small fall but by a very small amount and a very small amount from a figure that had gone very high in recent years but yet people almost heaved a sigh of relief that they saw their premium go down rather than go up because they've been so used to over many years. Every year it went up and up and up but I, I, should they be falling more? Should we be seeing 
a bigger fall in our premium. And I know we had a gentleman who contacted us uh, yesterday, uh, Anthony, to say his in, he's through a broker. He goes through an insurance broker and a lot of people go through brokers and reckon that they get the best deals by going through brokers. But Anthony isn't very happy. He says he changed his cars uh, in the past 12 months. The first time he changed to an older car, very same horsepower though as his previous car and he was charged an extra €100 for changing to an older car. Then he changed the car again and this time he changed to a newer car and he was charged an additional €150. So in the last 12 months, on top of the premium he paid, he has been charged €250 just to change to the two different cars. He thinks the insurance companies are money grabbers and they're not considered of those who are trying to earn and live. Not those earning thousands who can splash out money, no problem at all, but people who are living on a very, very tight budget and can't afford any kind of increases. He thinks it's one great big uh, money grab. And we also heard of uh, a woman whose house insurance went up for no reason at all. The house insurance uh, went up and actually the advice that we gave her was shop around. And we heard from her yesterday that she went to a broker and asked a broker to take a look at her house insurance. And she had gone from €350 to €400 with absolutely no changes considering she's a house very security conscious. She's actually got alarms and cameras and everything on the home and never leaves the house without the alarm being put on, uh, you know, and invest all that money thinking that you know money would come off her premium anyway she went to a broker got back to us yesterday and her broker managed to get her her house insurance for 250 euros so she's very happy that she has decided to shop around but it does prove what we constantly say to people always shop around. We're going to speak with the Mayor of Cork County Patrick Gerard Murphy. Uh, people who've will know Councillor Patrick Jared Murphy he's a wheelchair user but I think very few people know the story about how he ended up in the wheelchair he's opened up in a really good piece in today's uh, Irish Examiner so we've asked him to join us on the story to join us on the programme today to share his story of uh, how he ended up in a wheelchair and how he's, how he's overcome challenges in his own life quite an inspirational story uh, to tell and then it's Tuesday so that means Joe Heffernan will join us on the programme and uh, Joe is going to be dealing with anger on the programme today and uh, in particular we look at three types of anger so as we all get angry at times but it's how we control it and what we do with it that is the most important thing so if you've got a question with regard to anger get that into us 1850-333-103 and can I give you the heads up on a scam that we've had a text in about and I have to say this is a new one on me Uh, Hi Patricia this morning my husband got a scam email purporting to asking him to renew his TV licence. But he knew when the, when our TV licence needed to be renewed, but he checked it just to be sure. So can you just make listeners aware about this scam, doing the rounds, but it looks like it's a new one. Haven't heard of that one before. And, and also, you don't get... Do you get an email? I've never had an email to say that my TV licence is up for renewal. Now, again, that's not to say that they don't. I normally get a letter in the post from on post telling me 
that my licence is due for renewal. Now, I always go to the local post office. It's it's one of the things I make sure that I do at the local post office because, you know, we're always banging on about any job that you can do at your post office, then please do it at the post office to try to get, you know, to generate business into the post office. I know you can do it over the phone. You probably can do it by email as well, can you? And I'm imagining if you do it by email, when you were next due for renewal, is it then they'll send you out an email? But I haven't, I certainly haven't heard about it. But anyway, but there's a scam. This is certainly a scam because this household, their TV licence wasn't due for renewal, but yet this email arrives. So keep an eye out for that, please. 1850-333-103. John Paul is off again today. So Bernie's filling in for him. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Martin in this is on scams. The side, Patricia, got a text message this morning saying I'd won 530,000 euros. Wow, I thought I'm half a millionaire. <laughs> Don't forget us, Martin, when you're spending all of that money. Thank you for your text. And another text that says, Hi, Patricia, just to say, isn't it disgraceful the behaviour of Conor McGregor? My thoughts on him are that he should be banned from representing Ireland in any size, shape, our form and we should break all ties with the man. In my opinion, says this texter, he is a lowlife that doesn't know how to handle money. The children of today are being given a very bad example by him. What do other listeners uh, think? And the, well, the one thing about banning him from representing Ireland, he doesn't, he, he, like, he doesn't represent Ireland in the sense of like going to the Olympics or playing soccer for the Irish team or playing rugby for the Irish rugby team. But yes, he is Irish. So when he goes somewhere, he's associated with Ireland, but he's not officially representing Ireland, if you know what I mean. But I know where you're coming from. You feel that we should just disassociate completely with Conor McGregor and the latest from Conor McGregor. And I couldn't believe it when I heard it this morning. I was just thinking, man, is this guy, when is this guy ever going to get uh, sense? He's just been released uh, from jail. He was arrested and charged with robbery and criminal damage in Miami. He was after allegedly smashing a fan's mobile telephone. According to the Miami Beach Police report the Irish MMA star was leaving the the Miami Beach Hotel. It was around 5am on Monday morning when a fan attempted to take a photograph of Conor McGregor on a mobile phone. Now the Dubliner is alleged to have slapped the $1,000 phone from the fan's hand and then he stomped on the phone before Lee, before them picking up the phone and going away with it, so he, so he's done for theft of the phone as well. The police then, obviously, the fan reported it. He was tracked. McGregor was tracked down. He's on holidays, by the way, in Miami, and then he was arrested. And obviously, it was all on uh, CCTV uh, footage. He was charged with strong arm robbery. That's what's called in the states, and misdemeanor criminal mischief. And uh, he was taken to the local correctional centre in Miami where he was charged and then he was released from jail last night after posting his own bond of $12,500. McGregor's lawyer described the incident as a minor altercation. He said his client has pledged to fully cooperate. A spokesperson at the jail said that McGregor is due to appear in a bond uh, in court today, which is about one o'clock Irish time today. And uh, the former 
to twice two time weight UFC champion I don't know if that's how you pronounce how that's correctly done or not I don't follow that sport at all he only last week completed five days of community service that was part of the sentence for throwing do you remember the metal hand cart at the bus that had other UFC fighters on board that was in Brooklyn last April so he's only just done the community service uh, for that so we'll wait to see but one o'clock today Irish time which is 9am uh, American time he's expected back in uh, court so what do listeners what, would you agree with our with the texter that he's setting a very bad ex- example for young people and he would have a lot of young young uh, fans should we be disassociate should we the Irish be disassociating ourselves from Conor McGregor because of his behaviour 1850 your thoughts and comments welcomed and you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now, the Department of Housing, Planning and Local Government have allocated 5.8 million euro to support home adaptations for older people, people with a disability and people with mobility issues here in Cork. To discuss the funding, I'm joined by Fine Gael Senator Tim Lombard. Good morning to you, Tim. Good morning. Now, Tim, I suppose remind listeners what these housing adaptation grants what they're available for, the type of work, etc. Look, these are kind of grants that were initiated in 2007 and we've seen major uptake of these grants ever since. They allow people of a certain age to apply for grants from their local authority, Cork and the Council in this state, uh, grants up to €30,000 to help people assist and do works to make sure that their house is accessible and I mean accessible now for older people if they come home from hospital whether it's a stair lift whether it's railings around the house whether it's um, upgrading a bathroom these grants are about trying to empower people so they can actually have the opportunity to live at home if they want to and they can actually live in their own environment um, there are grants that has seen significant uptake in particularly in Cork and the Council there's a great need and a great want there from the general public and uh, it's about in improving the quality of life of people who want to actually live at home who have become of a certain age and might need their homes to be adapted to that appropriate standard. Can it be used for repairs? Yes, you can. If there, if there was a person in of a certain age who uh, was in poor housing conditions, you could see a grant of up to eight thousand euros be done for actually repairs of house. Oh, okay, that's that. that, yeah. that that's and there's another six thousand euro grant for mobility aids. Now, mobility aids will be kind of you know your usual stair lift is a prime example of that. Mm. Now, or you know just railings. It's a real good grant. There's three grants there. Like there's a grant of up to thirty thousand euros available for people with disabilities. Eight thousand euros for people who live in poor housing conditions, and six thousand euros regarding mobility issues. Um, it's a suite of measures in many ways and it's all about trying to empower people to have the comfort to stay at home if they want to stay at home in that environment uh, because like you know certain people of a certain generation mightn't want to move into a, a home situation but if they were if the house is brought to a certain standard they would really prefer to live at home you Absolutely know? and you know an obvious one you could think of would be a two story house would be building on maybe a downstairs bathroom for Absolutely. example and can make a huge difference to somebody's life And that's the real that's like I wouldn't say the majority but an awful lot of them are 
literally about making sure downstairs toilets are put into houses that aren't in houses. Railings are very important in some situations. Non-slip floors when it comes to bathrooms. Even basic stuff, like not basic stuff, but like things like showers, making sure that you could change from a bath to a shower. Yeah, so but a, like, lot, a lot of older houses didn't have showers. They only exactly, had a bath. And exactly. if suddenly you reach an age where you can't get in and out of the bath, yeah, then you yeah. have a problem. Yeah, and that's so true, and that's really what these grants are about. And because they're so important to us as a society, there's been a big uptake in them. Um, like 2007, they first started, there was a, a drop-off period in funding up to 2014. And from 2014 onwards, we've seen an increase in the actual funding itself. Um, like Cork City Council got or nearly 2 million. Cork County Council got 5.8 million euros. Um, it's 80% funded from, the, from central funding and 20% funded from the local authority. So Cork and the Council are putting their hands in their pockets here and I think that has to be acknowledged as well. Mm. But this is about working with the community, making sure that people have a choice. And that choice is now with these grants. So if you do and how, do, how does somebody apply for one of these yeah. grants? Well, look, I'd always say to people as a local councillor for an awful long time, talk to your local councillor, but it's gone through your local um, um, housing authority. In this case, it'd be Cork and the Council. So Cork and the Council, you can download the form or get a form from any office or any public rep. They will fill out the form with you. There's an OT requirement to which you'll assess your needs and you make the application. Um, these grants are usually made available probably, in, like it's controversial over the years, probably May or June. They're brought forward to the start of the year this time round, which is very welcome because the money must be spent by the end of the year. But once the money is gone, it's gone, is it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, so that's why there's an urgency. If you think you qualify, you need to apply. I'm assuming it's means tested, is it? Yeah, it's means tested, but to be honest, you'd want to be very well off now not to qualify for this. In my office over the years, we've had a few that haven't made it, but on average, the majority of them you know, go through the process quite well. Um, there's a little bit of work in the application form, but it's definitely a wonderful form, a wonderful scheme that brings great opportunities for people of a certain generation. And I think it's one of the things we just have to promote and actually ensure that, look, there'll be 15,000 houses extra nationally done. Talking to the Minister a while ago, he was saying that he hopes to increase the funding again next year because there is such a demand we're spending roughly around 72 million euros in this year. We hope to push that towards the 80 million next year. And the knock-on effect for the local society is basically local small builders are majority of people are doing this work. And that's very, very positive. Too. That's, a, that's a point I hadn't thought about. You're putting money into the local economy yeah. as well because a lot of these jobs are small jobs. So it exactly. will be your local friendly builder, somebody, exactly. somebody perhaps you, you know. Someone is saying uh, a question. Um, are these grants just for people who own their own home or can you also get them if you live in a council house? That's okay. a good, good point. So- it's a very good point, and I think these are for private dwellings, so these are for people who actually own their own property. When it comes to actually Cork and the Council housing stock, Cork and the Council then have their own maintenance policy and their own actual people who actually do this work for them. Now, they are slow in doing it, and it's probably another process that you have to go through to ensure that Cork and the Council actually deliver on what they should be doing, which is ensuring their property is up to standard. Uh, all the new properties are all A3 properties coming on board, which are all wheelchair accessible, wheelchair friendly, downstairs bathrooms, wider doors, everything's appropriate with the new properties since probably 2011. But uh, the older Cork and Council properties really need to be looked at. They're going through them slowly but surely. 
but there is a, a deficit definitely in that market regarding the Cork and Council properties. Okay, here's another interesting question. Can these grants be got before older people get too feeble? We're living on our own. We're aged 78 and 68. Probably not because it's going to take an OT report. We'll have to report from an occupational therapist to see that you had the needle there. Yeah, you can't predict what the need you is going to be, no, unfortunate. No, no, unfortunately. Unfortunately, yeah, yeah. No, um, that's unfortunate. That won't work. You'd, you know, so you need someone who's going to say the needle's there and then you actually apply, then you get your grant. So that unfortunately okay. won't happen. No. Okay, and the I saw the figures for last year. Was it something like 9,400 9, 9, households? Yeah, 9,400. Yeah, n- n- nearly 10,000 households. That's a lot of people. A lot of households, a lot of families, a lot of, you know, individuals who have issues, you know, that were actually um, allowed to stay at home. And, like, there was another document um, and on, um, launched during the week or two weeks ago now, which is housing options for people of of age. Of, and basically that document is about ensuring that our new plans, our new planning permissions, whether it's a housing estate or communities, have to have a certain percentage of houses made available for people um, of, our, of our elderly population. And I think that's something we just need to promote. We just can't be building housing estate after housing estate. We have to incorporate communities where we're going to have, you know, just housing stock available for people who move to a certain generation and maybe want to downsize, maybe want to move closer into the actual villages and towns. But that's going to take planning and the planning process has to allow that to happen. Okay, Mary and Mallow got a grant for railings and a ramp and a wider patio door several years ago. It's a great scheme, but she said it's not new. No, it's been there, you said, since 2007, isn't 2007, it? Yeah, 2007, 2007, it's in. Uh, Nori and Mallow wants to know, could you get a grant for a power wheelchair? A power wheelchair? I actually don't know what the mobility aid section take that. It's definitely a question. Um, I don't know, would, like it has to be a part of the house. So and, and a power more, wheelchair wouldn't be a part of the no, house. I'd no, I'd say not. I'd say if it was a if it was a stairs a stair lift now, definitely that that's another one that is very commonly used. You know, stair lift for people, but a power wheelchair, I probably don't think so. Okay, Tim and Liam Lara is a pensioner. He applied for his house roof to be repaired under this scheme. He applied to the Mallow office. They asked for his father's PRSI number. His father has been dead with twenty years. The application cannot be dealt with until he can find this number he thinks the system is mad would you know anything about that? I'd say that is definitely irregular to say the very least I assume it's going to be under his name the application goes in rather than his late father's name yeah. in fact there'd be no application taken in a deceased person's name I know that that just couldn't happen so there's definitely a mix up there along the way I definitely arranged to meet them and to talk through how they would look for such information okay. very regular Alright we leave it there Tim listen thank you for that and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, Senator Tim Lombard with the very latest 5.8 million for housing ad- adaptation grants for older people and people with disability here in Cork. 1850-333-103. Bernie is taking your calls today, sitting in for John Paul. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 103. Now the second series of Grow 
Cook Eat returns to our TV screens tomorrow night on RTE1 with the new series opening with a visit to the thriving Mahan Point Farmers Market here in Cork. Joining me to preview the series, one of the presenters, Karen O'Donoghue, GIY Head of Community Development. Good morning to you, Karen. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, you're welcome. Now, Grow, Cook, Eat is, is a very practical series. Do you aim it at people who have little or no knowledge of growing their own food? Very much so, because that's me and <laughs> hundreds of thousands of versions of me. Um, and yes, that was one of the really important kind of ideas or priorities when we first devised uh, the format and the plan for series one was to make it uh, really normal, to make food growing really accessible and to do it in a way that with you know no Latin terms, no big horticultural snootiness, and really to convey the message everybody can grow something somewhere. Yeah, and I suppose dispelling the myth that you have to have a lot of land or that you have to have a greenhouse in order to grow any kind of fruit or veg. Absolutely. So obviously here at Grow HQ, we're really lucky. You know, we have three acres, we have beautiful greenhouses, we have a head grower. You know, Mick is obviously very, very knowledgeable. So what we do here is at the high end of the scale in terms of knowledge and production. But that's why when we built the garden, like the set for the series, so to say, we did it as if it was um, a suburban garden to show people what you can do with limited space. Um, obviously flying the flag for people who, who don't have any space at all, who have a, a balcony or just a windowsill or maybe a small little patchy of grass out the back somewhere where they can grow in containers. So again, it's just back to this notion that, you know, you don't have to have the acres. You don't have to be up a leafy, a leafy lane. Whether you're in an apartment block in some city centre, you can still get some herbs or, or some salads on the go. Now, tomorrow night you're going to focus on growing onions. Are, are, they, are. are they an easy veg to grow? Oh, my God, they're so easy. They? <laughs> and if I can say that with conviction, Patricia, <laughs> you really must be. So, you know, when when we were thinking about which of the seven veg we, we picked for the second series, it was important that we, um, you know, talked about some kind of good old household staples. So, like, we did spuds and garlic in the first series, and the feedback on those two vegetables was amazing. You know, people going, crikey, I, I didn't realise it was that simple. So we felt onions was a great one to kick off with because, you know, we picked them up so readily and um, often in plastic, yeah. very often imported, and actually in a very small piece of land or a piece of ground or in a container, um, you get great yield. And they're so low maintenance, like ridiculously so. And I love the idea when when you're growing like that at home, getting the children involved. Oh, yeah. Like, I have two now, Dylan and Saoirse. And, you know, don't get me wrong, Patricia, it's not like we're, they're not shaking me up at half past seven in the morning saying, Mommy, Mommy, can we go to the office? <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes there's some negotiation happening. Well, if I take you to rugby and you to horse riding, will you bring come, come with me to the allotment? Um, but when we do go, or even if it's out the back, I don't have any grass area. I have a kind of a, a courtyard. Um, so we'll throw a few peas into a container or, you know, do the spuds in, in a bag. And there's other friends of mine, like Leah, she has two little ones, Paddy and Molly. Um, Sonia comes over with Alison and, you know, depending on the day, depending on their mood, they, they might like to get stuck in. 
But you know what? As long as they're with us yeah. and they're outside and they're seeing us doing it, you know, monkey see, monkey do. That's it. That's it. And that's it, it. it just means that becomes normal to them. And I know tomorrow night, um, Mick in particular is going to be focusing on, on keeping hens and his yeah. son is big into yeah. keeping hens. I know. How brilliant is that? So Michael Kelly, upstaged by Nikki Kelly. Oh, what a joy. <laughs> <laughs> and this is this is keeping hens in a suburban back garden. Well, yes and no. So to be really honest, like we we always have a couple of hens here with us in the in the TV garden, um, just to show that you can get you know different coops of different sizes and you still get delicious free range eggs. Now Nikki has taken it to a whole other level because. You know, Mick and Eilish, his wife, and, and their kids have a lovely home and, and a huge garden, etc. So, like, Nikki's doing it at kind of the, I think it's eight or ten um, hens. So, really, what they were kind of explain, <laughs> explaining, sorry, pardon the pun, was whether it's eight or ten or twelve or two, the same rules apply, you know, in terms mm. of how much space you need, what they eat, how much water they drink, and just the total joy of having. Fresh, free range. Nothing it's, like it's it. All doable. Nothing, Nothing like, like it. it. And if and where where well, if I want my free range eggs, it's off to the farmers market. I go and mm. you you tomorrow night you, you're doing a special feature on the farmers market in Mahon Point. Absolutely. So um, I don't know if you know, but like I live in Cork. So I live yeah. in the, in the you're, in you're down in East Cork. Cork. You East I'm Cork? down in East Cork, yeah. exactly. Yes, just not just out the road from Middleton. So spoilt for farmers markets. Um, and we went to the one in Mahon Point for a number of reasons. Um, amazing producers. Like, I think there's over 50 producers there on a weekly basis. Like, amazing. Everything from bread, cheese, vegetables, obviously, salads, juices, Ethiopian food, like milk. Like, oh, my God, the smells, the taste, like the flowers, the plants, the whole thing. And, and a really amazing atmosphere. But... The reason we went there, and not to one that kind of looks like a very obvious farmer's market, if you know what I mean, mm. is because it was, in bad weather, it takes place um, in the underground garage of this huge retail centre. And it was really just to show that in the most unusual of places, you can still put amazing food front and centre. And so it's not to, again, it's back, Patricia, to dispelling this notion that you know, as consumers, it has to be one or the other. You know, everybody recognises that there's times you have to just go and buy toilet rolls, you know, and washing up liquids, or you need to go to a kind of more mainstream, you know, supermarket or shop or whatever. It's just to highlight the fact that you can make a combination of different choices, particularly around food. Even even at a big retail centre like Mahan, Mahan Park, or Mahan Point, excuse me, so that was great crack. Yeah. Yeah. And like we and we we are particularly blessed here in Cork for the number of farmers markets. I mean, I don't think there isn't a listener listening to us this morning that isn't somewhere close once a week to a farmers market yes, and it's locally produced. It's 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 incredible. It's incredible. And and again, you know, I know when I started making the swap over from kind of doing my almost automatic shopping in a supermarket to changing over to to the to the farmers markets, um, you know, I did it in I did it in, in in baby steps, you know. So now I'm at a point where I would only buy sourdough bread, so I get that at the market. 
and I would only buy um, like the organic raw milk. So I get that from the Hearns at Middleton Farmers Market. Excuse me, um, eggs, obviously, amazing apples and apple juice. And and what I've noticed is, yeah, it costs more in terms of money, but I also know I value it more. And I would rather invest. Like I was talking to this about somebody the other day, right, about how much you would save save in inverted commas between buying kind of, you know, standard food in packaging and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you know what? If you add in the cost of going to the doctor because of the ill health that you will have from eating like food like that all the time, and if you actually added in the cost of uh, getting rid of the waste of the packaging and the this, that and the other, it, it, there is no savings. Mm. And, so the, and the amount of, of food, the amount of food we th- we throw out mm. is just because that's the one thing about growing your own. Going back to the, the grow your own, mm-hmm. you get a much better understanding of food, which then goes Absolutely. on to help things like food waste, doesn't it? Absolutely. So you know, we we work really closely with StopFoodWaste.ie and Sportbia. They're they're the sponsors of the program, and you couldn't ask for two better ones because they really help us you know, fully understand the severity of the situation and then we help put it in a way that's not doom and gloom or finger pointing. It's about, well, these are the changes that you can make. So I learned um, through conversations with them that we are throwing out on average 700 euros worth of food a year. I know, that like, figure astounds me, yeah. Yeah, like my friend John said to me the other day, we must, you know, we're one of the countries in the world who can afford to buy food and throw it out. That's bonkers. Yeah. It's just bonkers. And I think what's happening, Patricia, is, you know, everybody kind of doesn't think that every scrap of food that goes off their plate or every kind of gone off bag of spinach or every blah, blah, blah that you buy in a mad notion with multi-pack offer or whatever... We, we kind of think, oh, sure, it's only, it's only me. But the fact is there are millions of us doing that. Mm. Millions. It's, all, it's all, all the stuff. only me's all add up. It's the only me's. Yeah. yeah all, exactly, all the only okay, me's add up. Okay, so it's, it's yeah. Grow, Cook, Eat airs tomorrow night, first episode, yeah. half past eight. It's, it runs for six weeks, isn't it? It's a six-week course? Seven. Seven yes, weeks, okay. Seven. Runs, runs through and to the 24th of April. Uh, is it great fun making it? Oh, my gosh, we have the best crap. Is it? <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, like, not only is this something that Mick and I and everybody else here at DIY and Grow HQ are really passionate about, but, you know, like, I have huge admiration and respect for Michael Kelly as a person, you know, and for what he does, so he's a joy to work with. Um, we really respect each other, so we have loads of banter, even though sometimes they might be a bit bold. Um, you know, Nomos, the production company, who had to come on board with this, you know, we were we're not broadcasters, like, you know what I mean? Like, well, like, you always come off. across very professional. It's a, oh it's a, it's a great series. So <laughs> we, we are looking forward uh, to it, Karen. And we thank you so much for taking time out to talk to us today. Good luck oh, with thank it. You for Thanks thank for joining you us. Bye bye. Bye bye. Karen O'Donoghue, since she's lovely. And she is with GIY. She's head of community development. So keep a lookout for the new series of Grow 
Cook Eat tomorrow night at half. A lady from Mallow has contacted us because she lost her purse in Cork City. Now, she lost it on Sunday night. Bad enough to lose the purse. I'm assuming there was some money in it, but more importantly, her passport and her ID card, etc., was in it. She's going on holidays in two weeks' time and she needs the passport. So, if anybody has heard of anyone finding a purse with a passport ID card in it, can you call 022 20866? And it's a bit of a long shot. Now, I don't know if the purse was found. You'd love to think somebody were very honestly would hand it into a guard the station and it would get uh, returned. Failing that, if the purse was found, did somebody take the money out of it? And then if they just dumped the purse and the passport ID card, because it's the passport ID card really that is the most important thing that this woman needs on account of going on holidays in two weeks' time. So if anybody can help with that, please, please do. Uh, okay, eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. Let me oh, before I go to some of your calls and texts coming in on a variety of uh, different issues and some of the issues we've been discussing today. We had a concerned parent contact us. This was last week and my apologies, I just didn't get around to it and I promised I'd, I'd get around to it today, uh, to, uh, this week and we get a chance to do it now. Hi Patricia, could you put this out? Uh, I'd be very interested to hear the views from parents and indeed grandparents who are looking after their grandchildren. What do they think about the weight of school bags? My son, who is eight, he's in second class and he has a bag weighing over a stone in weight. Now, He does have to walk a little distance to school and then his classroom is on the second floor. So there's a flight of stairs to be negotiated. Of course, he doesn't need all of the books every day, but he's never sure which ones they won't be using. So therefore, all the books have to go into the bag every day. And if you pop the bag on his scales, it comes in at one stone in weight. I think there should be lockers in all schools, including primary schools, or they will end up having problems before long. Thanking you, Patricia, and that signed a concerned parent looking for how other parents feel about this and about how other parents deal with this. Now, I'm assuming for a young boy, it's a rucksack type school bag that he's popping up on his back and a stone in weight is a lot of weight for a little lad, a little eight-year-old to be carrying around, isn't it? Now, I know, thankfully, it's only a small distance he has to walk to school, but then there's the flight of stairs. Now, I know lockers, certainly lockers are something that are in, am I right in saying that they're in all secondary schools and secondary school students then can just put the books in, take out the books they need, so they certainly aren't walking into school or carrying home a bag of books that would weigh a stone. But I don't know if I've ever heard of lockers in primary school. Primary schools, maybe some schools have gotten around that and are using uh, lockers. I wonder, could you go to the Parents Association? Could you find out who is the rep on the board and bring it up and see, would it be possible to introduce lockers? Now, there would be a cost involved if they were to bring lockers in, but I'm assuming that as parents, parents would be willing to pay for the lockers. You'd have to pay for individual lockers or rent individual lockers. Some sort of scheme like that would have to be put in place. But it certainly is a topic we've dealt with before in the past. You know, every now and again, you'll get a parent who'll notice that her son or daughter is sort of almost thrown forward because of the weight of the school bag. And then if you put it onto a scales at home, you'll be shocked. I mean, over a stone in weight for an eight-year-old child, to me, sounds like, it does sound like a very heavy school bag 
are a very heavy load for a little lad to be carrying around. So your thoughts welcomed on that, please. 1850-333-103. Bernie's taking calls or you can text your WhatsApp to uh, 086-2103-103. I already see there's a text in on this. Hi, Patricia. My daughter's in secondary school. Her bag is a ton weight. And my seven-year-old is in senior infants. His bag is also very, very heavy. I recently bought him one of the trolley school bags because down the line we will have damage done to their backs. Those trolley, the little trolley ones are great for the primary school. I don't know if the secondary school children would find it a little bit uncool to be going with the trolley bags but certainly that's a good suggestion for a seven-year-old. I mean this little lad is in second class Um, I'm wondering, would he consider, is that a solution for our our concerned uh, parent who contacted us? Would your son consider a trolley bag? Or a trolley bag is only for girls. I don't know, I'll have to take a look at I pass a little primary school every day going to and from work. I must take a look and see how many of them have trolley bags. I have seen, though, children that our mum describes being literally nearly bent over with the weight of the books. And it's the fact that in primary school, they don't know what they're going to need. Maybe, you know, I don't know whether they can come up with a better timetable uh, system so that they know exactly what they need and don't need. But it does seem crazy that he's to bring them all in because he doesn't own any, you know, any day what he's going to need and what he's not going to need. Give us your thoughts. uh, Your thoughts are welcomed on that. On the grants that we spoke about in the last hour, these are the housing adaptation grants for older people and people with a disability. Jur is pondering on this and says, while I agree wholeheartedly with the grant scheme for the elderly and the disabled and grants to do up the person's house so they can live a much more independent life and live at home longer. Jur is wondering what happens following the death of that elderly person. Whoever then, whatever family member, inherits the property, do they have to pay the state back or do they benefit from the state? I have never heard of anyone having to pay the state back. The whole idea dear of these uh, the grants, you get the grant and the grant then is to make that you know person's life as happy and as comfortable for as long as possible and certainly there is no uh, payback uh, and in fact uh, I know for sure that there isn't because I heard of one person and a family who went to great lengths to adapt a property for an ageing father so that he could come to live with them and you know they put almost make almost made a granny flat out of an extension onto their house and there was a, a wet room put in and downstairs toilet and a special bedroom uh, for the dad and he moved in and everything was fine but sadly after a month he, pa- he passed away now there was no I mean that was never part of the plan they thought he would live uh, much longer but there certainly was no payback to the state I don't know if there's anything in it that's, you know, and they couldn't. I mean, if you think about it, they couldn't say the person has to remain alive for X period of time. I mean, it's just it just wouldn't work. It just wouldn't work in the main. I think the people who get the grant benefit for, from it for as long as possible. There will always be individual cases, though, like that, where the work will all be done and then sadly the person uh, passes away. But that's not, that's the fault of uh, no one. 1850 Hi, Patricia. Is this the week that the social welfare get the gets the big, big, big five euro we've been waiting for since it was announced in the budget last October? Well, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you have another couple of weeks to wait. The five euro increase, which is 
is payable to pensioners, lone parents, job seekers, carers, people with disabilities, widows, etc. 1.48 million people will benefit from the increase that was announced, you are right, in the October budget of last year and they will kick in on the week beginning the 25th of March 2019. So not this week, not next week, the week after. Because in the past, it has been paid out in time for St. Patrick's Day. Do you remember there was a, people were being quite cynical about it, saying, oh, they gave it to us just in time for St. Patrick's Day. And I remember back in October when the increase was announced and people were saying, when are we going to get it? And people were hopeful of getting it in January. And then we were told it will be paid out in March. And I remember there and then back in October trying to acquire. When you say it's going to be paid out in March, it's at the beginning, the middle or the end of March. And I had rather cynically suggested that you'll get it in time for St. Patrick's Day. Well, how wrong was I? It's going to be the week after. So the week beginning the 25th of March. So the, your last payment in March for anyone that gets a social welfare payment that's going to benefit from the five euro extra a week have fun spending the money but look let's let's all stop and be stop being cynical there was a time when there was decreases were brought in on social welfare so let's be thankful that it's an increase uh, rather than a decrease also in by text Margaret says Patricia the priest at the church in Mallow two weeks ago at Mass announced that people were not supposed to park in the Church of the Resurrection car park unless they were attending Mass. This was to do with vandalism in the church that we highlighted actually on this programme by a group of uh, teenagers recently because of that. The priest said the only people allowed to park in the Church of the Resurrection car park were those attending Mass. Margaret says nobody is abiding by this rule. She's seen lots of people parking there uh, including parents dropping their children to school and other people parking. Do people not listen anymore, says uh, Margaret. Well, I straight away would say the only people that heard it were the people that were at Mass. You can assume that a lot of people that are parking there didn't hear the priest say that the only people that are meant to park meant to park or allowed to park. I'm not sure. If the church want to go down that route of stopping anyone parking for fear that there's going to be more vandalism, even though how vandalism it's how are you going to stop vandalism by not allowing people to park in the car park I don't fully understand but unless the church want to put up signs saying parking only for mass scores and I'm assuming signs like that haven't uh, gone up but as to do people not listen anymore Margaret the only people that would have heard that were the people that would have been at mass on that particular uh, day and I don't know if it was announced at all masses we were t- thank you for your text we were we were talking about the cook or the the grow Cook and Eat and the new TV programme that's on uh, tomorrow night and I mentioned about food waste the one thing about growing your own food it just gives a whole new look about food waste and about what we do with our food and if you've grown something yourself you want to make sure that it gets used if not by you and your family but by other people you're going to do your very best not to waste it so it can help us with food waste Sandy says on food waste did you see the the Eco Eye programme a few weeks back on the programme the interviewer spoke to an engineer living in Clon. He had adapted his sink waste outlet to chop food and feed it into a digester and added lawn grass to produce gas for cooking. Leftover was used for fertiliser for the garden. It's something that could help the environment as well as reducing household living costs. He also showed bigger digesters suitable for farms. Doesn't that, you see, that kind of science and that kind of 
environmental technology just excites me. I absolutely think that's fantastic. And I know it's done on a very small scale. It's, you know, it's one family living in Clonakilty and they're, they're doing their bit. But if the roll on, if more and more people started doing that, how, how fantastic. I didn't see the programme. I, I, I'm going to try and see if I can dig it out. It's bound to be on the player. Uh, I certainly would love uh, to watch uh, something like that. Thank you, uh, Sandy, for the heads up on that. And John in Cork says, Patricia, you mentioned yesterday that the Mallow traders are being asked to decorate their premises in green, white and gold and to do it for St. Patrick's Day. Yes, I did. We were talking about the St. Patrick's Day committee in Mallow have added a kind of an extra dimension to their parade this year in that they've asked, asked the business and the shops to decorate their window frontages and they're going to do a little bit of a competition and they're going to give up prizes and it just adds to the atmosphere of the town. Well, John says, when I was young, the Irish flag was always said to be green, white and gold. But in recent times, John says, I've noticed the flag is said to be green, white and orange. What is the official colour of the flag and did it change at some point, says John in Cork? Yeah, I would always refer to it as green, white and gold, even though when you're looking at it, it's green, white and orange. And it is orange, isn't it? It's for the orange order. Green for the nationalists, orange for the orange order and the white for peace in the middle. Isn't that what the symbol of the flag is all about? But certainly, yes, I would I would still refer to our flag as green, white and gold. But should we be saying green, white and orange? And I don't know, have I in recent times heard it referred to as green, white and orange? I don't think I've ever actually myself, when I've spoken about the flag, said called it green, white and orange. I'll have to take a listen now and listen out to more official people speaking to see are people referring to the colour of our flag as green, white and orange as opposed to green, white and gold. Does anybody know, did it change? And is that the official? I'll do, I'll try and do a bit of research this afternoon on that, John, and uh, get back to you tomorrow. But thank you uh, for your text. 1850 C103 Jobs. Part-time beauty therapist is required for a salon in Dunmanway. You must have experience uh, with certs in waxing and eyelash extension. Wanted an experienced JCB driver, that's for the North Cork area. A duty manager and food and beverage attendants are wanted, that's for the Celtic Ross Hotel in Ross Garbury. And a spa therapist is wanted for a hotel in East Cork. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now, insurance companies are enjoying bumper profits with three major firms in Ireland making combined profits of almost €200 million last year. There is now mounting pressure growing on all companies to ease the burden on their customers. Joining me from the Alliance of Insurance Reform is Peter Boland and fingers crossed we have a better phone line today than we had this time yesterday. Good morning to you, Peter. Good morning, Patricia. I understand it's much better. (laughs) You're not on a train and that's always helpful. (laughs) Now, it's the fourth consecutive year of double digit percentage growth in the insurance business. Um, Is any of this being passed on to customers? No, it's not, Patricia. And the first thing I'd say is that we're not surprised by this. Um, because all of the major European insurance companies are active in Ireland and they are not here for the good of their health. Um, they, you will hear occasionally, and there will be a lot of uh, publicity around years when insurers make a loss, but that's the way that the insurance 
market operates, it's very cyclical, it's very up and down. But if, as they do, you take any five or ten year period, they will always make a profit. And in the ten years up to the end of 2014, collectively, <coughs> excuse me, on motor insurance alone, they made 1.6 billion in profit in Ireland. Whoa. But the, the Central Statistics Office, they say the motor premiums have fallen recently. But then I suppose what you'd have to add to that, that was after massive hikes in the cost of cover. Isn't it Correct. They went say? plus 70 over three years and they're now down uh, 22%. But that doesn't really sound like a win to me. And if you think about your listeners, uh, all of the young drivers, drivers with older cars, uh, drivers of vans in particular on the commercial side, they haven't seen these reductions. These reductions are focused on a very narrow uh, niche, the one that the CSO measures. So I, I suppose there's a couple of actions we need out of this at this stage. Um, going back to when we spoke last, um, I'm warned at the time that we were looking at closures uh, of small businesses yeah. uh, and of voluntary groups. It started to happen now. So there's been some publicity over the last... A uh, few weeks about uh, play centres, kids' play centres. And we've seen them as their renewals come up, we've seen them closing because either they can't afford the renewal or they're not even getting a quote in some cases now. And this is despite the fact that play centres have an exemplary, exemplary record when it comes to safety. So that's the first of the groups. What I'm going to say now is that you're going to see that level of closure is applying to other sectors over the next few months. I'm aware of a few of them but I can't really say at this stage because they're in in serious negotiation but a range of different small businesses and voluntary groups are threatened by the same thing. So we need urgent action um, and there are three things in particular that we're looking for right now, Patricia. Um, I'm very aware of Brexit and the fact that the Oireachtas is, is very busy on that side. So we've been very careful to look for things that don't need legislation. Last time we talked, we talked about the Guard Insurance Fraud Unit. Mm. Still hasn't happened. It's done the it's government policy for two years now and we still haven't seen it. Uh, we need that to be in place as a matter of urgency. Uh, the second thing is that uh, the Personal Injuries Commission acknowledged that awards for very minor injuries in this country uh, are at 4.4 times higher than the UK. And even the UK is an outlier. When you compare it, say, on, on very minor whiplash injuries, um, you'll get nothing in Sweden, you'll get nothing in France. Uh, historically, you've got about uh, 3,000 in the UK, although that's been dramatically reduced by new legislation. But in Ireland, you'll get nearly 20,000. So that creates an atmosphere where it's really, really worthwhile uh, to put in fraudulent, exaggerated or misleading claims. Yeah, and it, it never ceases to amaze me when some of them get highlighted in the papers. Some A person who's had multiple claims, can they really be that unlucky? No, and if they're caught, they just walk out yeah. and uh, live to fight or live to claim. And it, it, this is not a victimless crime. We We are all paying for it. Well, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. So, and, and uh, at this stage, quite a few of the play centres, uh, the people, the families who run them, I would regard them as personal friends because we've been fighting this battle for a year together now. And I, I find it very upsetting uh, to see them and their family livelihoods go down the drain because of something like insurance. And these are businesses that are profitable uh, otherwise and have worked very hard 
and aren't millionaires by any manner of means. But yeah, they, 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 they certainly, though, I mean, those indoor play centres, they're, they're never licensed to to print money. But, you know, well, you, you, can, you can make a nice learning out of it. But you, if you're going to get crippled with insurance costs, but it's the knock-on. Parents are going to bemoan the fact that all these little play centres are gone. On a wet, rainy Sunday afternoon, when you want to bring the kiddies somewhere, there's nowhere to go. Well, then you look at that massive issue of childhood obesity now. So yeah, there's yeah. one option gone. Uh, sports clubs increasingly under pressure uh, because of insurance costs. Schools not allowing kids to run around the playground. Um, and if you look at, for example, sports like hurling, one I'm very involved with at volunteer level myself, um, where you cannot play hurling in the vast majority of school playgrounds uh, without qualified coaches being there now. And it, all of this is insurance. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Related. Um, and just going back to the very first point that you raised then, Patricia, this whole thing about insurance companies and their profits, we need to see the bona fides from the insurers because there's an enormous amount being done right now in terms of insurance reform. From a government point of view, they're not moving fast enough, but they are moving and we're seeing things starting to happen. And from a policyholder point of view, we are a health and safety nation in this country. Other European countries laugh at just how strict we are on health and safety. And if you look, for example, at motor, uh, our roads have never been safer, our cars have never been safer, our driving practices have never been safer. Um, we have, are seeing historical lows uh, on uh, road fatalities and serious injury, and yet our premiums are going up. So we need a commitment from the insurers on what all of this hard work we're doing is going to yield. And there is a historical precedent. They did the same when we had a similar crisis in 2002, 2003. And they gave a sort of a shopping list of, right, well, if you improve road safety, you'll get so much off your, your premiums. If you introduce a book of quantum, you'll get so much, et cetera, et cetera. So you go back to what I already said on, say, the Garda Insurance Fraud Unit. If that is put in place and the insurance industry have been screaming for it now for years, then how is that going to have an impact on our insurance premiums? We want that kind of clarity from them. Okay, and once again, to anyone getting a premium in, shop around, Peter. I mean, even since I've been mentioning that you're coming on the programme, we're getting examples from people getting a quote in and then when they ring somewhere else or go to a broker or whatever, you can reduce, you can save yourself some money. The first thing to do is shop around. Yeah, talk to different underwriters, talk to different brokers, uh, get as many different options as you can. Uh, increasingly, what we're finding, though, is uh, that they're all very, very high, and uh, that's where the reforms come in. We have to get overall and pre- premiums down uh, because, as it stands, it is causing uh, permanent damage to our society. 
Okay, we'll talk again, Peter, in the meantime. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Uh, Good morning to you. That is uh, Peter Boland of the uh, Alliance of Insurance Reform, who always talks so much sense. If I could just get people to listen to him and reduce the cost of insurance. And it is shocking that these small businesses, and we're going to see more and more of these small businesses, just go to the wall and close. And many of them will cite one of the main reasons is because of the high cost of insurance. 1850. 533103. Just back on the weight of the school bags. Nancy in Bantry was on. She's three grandchildren. One is in secondary school, managed to get a locker, but another one in secondary school didn't. So they're obviously the school that her grandchildren are in, they have lockers, but not enough for the amount of students. So the other poor grandchild has to haul all his books into school with him every single day. Nancy suggested to her grandson would you not use one of those trolley bags? And she was only laughed at. Even the younger children think they are not cool, says Nancy. But she does think on a more serious note that there should be a big cupboard with shelves so that the children could have a shelf for their books and then it gets locked away at night so that everything's nice and safe so they could leave them and just bring home the books that they need. Kind of a locker, but on a bigger scale and you wouldn't need as much space uh, for it. 1850 333 103. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Court Today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103 103. I have to say a lot of people reacting to uh, Peter Boland of the Alliance uh, for Insurance Reform saying he's doing great work and tell him to, to keep it up. He'll get listened to eventually, uh, including a text in from West Cork Councillor Paul Hayes. It says, well done to Peter and his colleagues in the Alliance for Insurance Reform for their campaigning on what is a vital issue. I'm delighted that Peter accepted my invitation to to come into County Hall to address my fellow councillors recently and together we passed a unanimous motion calling on the government to implement the specific requests being made by the Alliance. The government must act on this urgently because there will be an avalanche of business closures and festivals will be a thing of the past. Kind regards, that's Councillor uh, Paul Hayes and it's the festivals and the small community groups and community hubs and community halls. It would be devastating to rural areas if we lose any of those and we are already seeing a lot of the festivals struggling year on year. There are many festivals literally operating. The little bit of profit they make is all going in to just paying the public liability insurance and they scrape by uh, year to year. That is very, very difficult for people who are doing it all on a voluntary basis. 1850-333-103. Now the Mayor of Cork County, Councillor Patrick Gerard Murphy, as many people will know, is a wee wheelchair user. But many are unaware how he came to end up with a disability. Patrick tells his story in today's County Mayor's Corner in the Irish Examiner and he joins me on the programme. Uh, good morning to you uh, Patrick and you're welcome to the programme. Thanks Patricia, good morning to you too. Um, up to now, have you shied away from sharing your story? To a certain extent I suppose I have Patricia I suppose though, although when you're living it and you're actually in the moment and uh, I suppose uh, getting on with things, you, you don't see the significance, significance of it to yourself sometimes. Uh, but I suppose over the last year, I've been meeting with a lot of, uh, I suppose, disability organisations um, and community organisations. And when, when they ask me my story, I tell them, they say, well, that's worth telling. You know, that, that's, a, that's something that would resonate with people and, and, and ensure that, I suppose, they, you can triumph over adversity sometimes. And also over the last week, 
or two weeks, we've had the Teen Talks um, uh, events in Charleville, in Little Island, and in um, in um, West Lodge and Bantry. And we've had some brilliant speakers, Graham McCormick, Derby O'Rourke, um, and a Geary, and a few like that. But I, when I spoke at Charleville, when I, I, I touched on some things, and then I expanded a bit more in Little Island, and then I expanded even more in West Lodge. And the feedback I got from, from the four speakers and the feedback I got from the kids was that, you know, this is something you should tell. Yeah. This is something worth yeah, telling. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, okay, so it was a car accident back in 1993 where you, uh, that caused you to, to end up in, in a wheelchair. What, what do you remember of that accident that day or that night? It was a pretty normal day, to be honest with you, Patricia. I was just after playing a football game. We played a football match in, in, in Irees that night, and I was going home. And uh, I suppose I was something to do, but I had no seat on the start of. And secondly, I was changing the game. And um, lo and behold, I did. Yeah, you're just going to have to move slightly. Your phone is just playing up. Okay, yes. sorry, yeah, I, that's perfect again. Okay, so you were, you, so you, you no seatbelt, no seatbelt no seat on, changing, changing the cassette. The now, my, the kids today will know a cassette tape as well while we yeah, played yeah. our music on. So you were, you, know, you were just, kind of, just for those who don't know, it's a kind of a square tape. Yeah, that the played music. Put, put back in upside down. You had to change it, change its, its, its um, orientation. But basically, it. you're admitting you were distracted. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, distracted. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, but, uh, and, and and not wearing the seatbelt. I, I would imagine contributed greatly to, to what happened, you know. Did you hit uh, another car or what did you... No, no, totally on my own. I just took my eyes off the road and went into the dike, which then resulted in mounting the ditch and landing on the roof, basically. Were you knocked unconscious? Uh, for a few minutes, yes. I'd say for about 10 minutes, but I, I came through then, all right. And um, obviously I faced the journey to, to Carcon in the back of an ambulance from the Bear Peninsula, which wasn't very... Um, which was very distressing, I'll tell you, on that, on that, on that, mar- on that, that night. Um, it's a long, winding road, and the roads were a lot worse back then, and it was, I think it took us nearly four hours to get to wow. the park. Were you, were you aware of how seriously injured you were? I had a pretty fair idea, right, when the local GP um, kind of hinted to it to me, so I kind of knew I knew what was coming. I think, all right, I had a fair idea, even though, you know, you needed to hear it from the specialist to, to be sure, to be sure. So you end up in CUH. How long did you stay there? Actually, I was only in CUH for about 12 hours. I was airlifted to the, the Bath Hospital in Dublin then subsequently. And um, and didn't spend that long there, actually, because like, I didn't actually have any um, complicating factors. Just a clean break in my thoracic and IT4. Um, and I had a hairline fraction C3, which I'm delighted uh, didn't develop into anything worse, which would have been an even greater challenge. And I ended up in, in Dunleary uh, pretty much three or four days after the matter. And you're paralysed, what, from the waist, is it? T, T4, which is kind of, you know, I suppose breast height is the best way to put it. Okay. And do you remember the moment when somebody came in and said to you, this is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah it, it was actually in the CUH, actually, yeah. It was the CUH, and I remember a consultant came in and told me. And I had suspected it anyway, so it was just confirmation of what I, what I thought, you know what I mean? So... Um, yeah, it was pretty distressing, I suppose, but um, I suppose I'm lucky enough and I'm a kind of a glass half full kind of a guy, Patricia, um, and I try to see the good, the opportunity and the potential in things sometimes. And since then, I've I've, I've had a lot of challenges, but I, I, I've had some really up 
uh, interesting up times as well, you know. Um, but you were you were a young man. Um, mm. What were you in your twenties? I was only twenty one. Twenty one. Okay, yeah. so just just had your twenty first. You know, you as you say, mm. you were coming back from a football match, so you were mm. a young, active man. Absolutely, yeah. No, I would. There must been, have been very dark days. Absolutely, I suppose I was very uh, much involved in GA uh, in in Birmingham and and in, in, in Ireland, but also in Cork, I would have been on the Cork Vocational Schools team, and I would have nearly made the panel for the Cork Miners, but just didn't make it. Um, so that was a big a sh- culture shock, because a lot of my life, uh, you know, it was a big part of my life, that sport, and the adrenaline the sport gives you, and the, um, I suppose, since the competition, but, um, yeah, there's some dark times, I suppose, it's, it's struggle, but I suppose it's the one thing it did have is a very good family, I had some very good friends and I had a very good community around me. Like, I, I came home in December of uh, 93 and there was a fundraiser put on for me in January of 93. The community rallied around. There were these, you know, what the rural communities are mm-hmm. like. They're t- tight-knit, very supportive. Um, when, I suppose when push comes to job, when there's tragic, tragedy in the in the area or someone is dealt a, uh, you know, it dealt a tough situation, the community rallied around, raised money, which allowed me to buy a car and I, and, and I returned to college in September, uh, which would have been a lot more difficult if I didn't have that support, you know. Uh, but they also supported me from a, from a I suppose, uh, an emotional point of view as well. And a lot of my friends rallied around. And they would bring me here and bring me there and, and make sure that I was, you know, involved fully in whatever was going on in the community. And you got you because of that competitive nature and that that will to be involved in a team. You got involved in team sports even in your wheelchair. Yes, I did, but it was very very. That wasn't as simple as it seemed because most of the sports was concentrated in Dublin at the time. I remember driving to Dublin on Saturdays trying to go up and uh, participate in wheelchair basketball, and it's something I couldn't sustain. And I, I, I left sport at that age. And I suppose the the, the the sport I got into then was management. I, I became a manager with um, with Arden and subsequently with Beira. And I suppose I got my um, my adrenaline and competitive competitive um, buzz out of that. From well done, from well done. Good, and that for a, good, for a good few years, yeah, yeah. But, and um, the and that accident in 1993, Patrick, wasn't your first car accident. You were involved in a crash in 1987, so six years previously, that had devastating consequences for you and your family. That was a huge event in our lives, all right, uh, Patricia, uh, back in 1987, actually, I was on the way to Cork, it was around Christmas time, so there was a bit of Christmas shopping, but I was also, I think, getting a, deb, a suit for my Debs, which was happening in January, and lo and behold, just outside here, on the Cork side of Cairkill, um car came around on the wrong side of the, of the road and uh, ploughed into us and my mother got killed practically instant, instantly and the driver of the, the car died a few days later um, our na- and he was our neighbour who was bringing us to Cork on that trip. So that was fairly, fairly um, you can imagine a small community like that losing two um, people um, and the run up to Christmas was a fairly my devastating God. time for the community. Uh, it was and your, your mother was trip. buried on Christmas Eve? No, my mother was buried on the 22nd. Uh, the driver was buried on Christmas Eve, actually. Yeah, oh, my so, God. So it was a fairly tra- traumatic time for the community. Wow. Yeah. And, and you were about to... Do, that was your leaving cert year? Yes, I would have done the leaving cert the following June. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it, was, <laughs> it wasn't great preparation for that, anyway, that's for sure. But um, you've, you've really come up against it, haven't you? There's been a few... I've been dealt a fairly uh, tough hand to cards, all right. But I, I, I don't know, I suppose, Patricia, as I said, I... I, I'm blessed. I, I, I 
by myself lucky that I have a kind of a very strong will. I kind of see I'm a glass half full kind of a guy. I see the opportunities rather than the limitations. And I've had a great life since. Do you know what I mean? I've, had, I've done so many interesting things. You see where I've got to today, being mayor of Cork County. I couldn't imagine I, that would be possible, I suppose, back in uh, 1993. And what drew you to politics, Patrick? Do you know, I think in some ways... Um, my parents were, were very much into politics anyway. There's a lot of discussions around, around the, t- the dinner table. But my mother was also um, a hairdresser and she ran a salon in her, own, in her own home. And she would have been a very, very popular person in, in, in the area. And I suppose I was exposed to people coming and going out of the house the whole time. And I, that, in some ways that kind of um, got me kind of prepared for, I suppose, relating to people, talking to people and, and hearing their problems. But I suppose back in 2008, I was approached if I would be interested in uh, Donald Casey. Actually, the sitting uh, councillor um, was retiring and I was asked, would I be interested? I hadn't really thought about it at that stage. But I suppose when I looked at it and I was involved in so many community and voluntary organisations all over uh, West Cork from, you know, Cork Local Link, Cats Connect, Viability, um, I said, this is another avenue for me to, I suppose, you know, do some good for the area. Um and having that background in kind of community and voluntary activity, I said that this might give me more access to the levers of power to try and make a difference. Um, and that's probably why I took it up. I, t- I wrestled with it for a while, but that's why I took it up. And, and, and uh, proving that a wheelchair won't and can't stop you. God, no. If you saw the year I've had, no. <laughs> but I, ha- I have to come in to Cork County Council. Ever since I was elected, they've embraced the uh, totally. They have put protocols in place to make sure all places are wheelchair accessible. They okay. have supported me in every way they can, um, and I just have to commend them. The the corporate affairs and the management executive have done everything to, to eliminate any possible barriers that might be out there to participating fully in in the mayorship. You know, um, so look, I, I, I suppose in some ways, I, the message I'm saying is that you know community is great you know that we're lucky in Ireland that when Okay, unfortunately, uh, the phone line has just uh, gone just as we were about to wrap it up. Um, uh, and, and I've just seen a lovely text coming in from somebody to say, what an inspirational man uh, you're speaking with. And he's the mayor of Cork County, Councillor Patrick Gerard uh, Murphy. He should be speaking at so many events to share his story. Are you back? No, the phone line's gone. Um, he should be uh, speaking at so many events to share his uh, story. And I imagine he will. I imagine uh, because I think he is getting because he started talking about and sharing his story the amount of people that are saying to him you need to share this story with so many other people and I just think for someone who will go through that devastation in life of being involved in some kind of an accident be it in a car or a workplace accident where they end up with you know a severe disability like what Patrick got where they end up in a wheelchair and they think oh my god my life is over to listen and to hear and to speak with somebody like Patrick will be just fantastic and will be inspirational and will give hope to so many so thank you uh, to the current Mayor of Cork County Councillor Patrick Gerard Murphy and a number of people uh, just commenting on the interview that we did in the last hour with the Mayor of Cork County um, Patrick uh, Gerard uh, Murphy uh, just to give you a sample of some of the texts in a text that says he's an amazing friend and an inspiration to so many of us here in Iries in Beira and beyond he raised the Ironman flag in Yall lately he is the true Ironman 
top class man. Keep up the good work, Patrick. You're playing a blinder, says the text. There's no name on that uh, text. Island in Newmarket says, what a pleasure to listen to Patrick. Great message, particularly for the seatbelts. Can you tell him, please, that he is an inspiration. Best wishes for the future. And that's from Eileen in Newmarket. And uh, others saying we need to hear Patrick's story more often. It's a story that needs to be shared. He really is inspirational. Yeah, and I think very honest of him as well when he said that, you know, his, his car accident that left him in the wheelchair was because he was distracted and we're coming into a bank holiday weekend when we know, unfortunately, there's always an increase in road accidents on bank holiday weekends. So please, people, if nothing else, take that message from Patrick today and make sure that you have your seatbelts on at all times. Now, actually, we had some calls in about this yesterday. Um, uh, Again, very busy yesterday and we just didn't get to it. This is, and we've had some more calls today, this is to do with the case of the Irish woman who is in a Syrian refugee camp, a bride of ISIL, as, as, as some people are referring to, for referring to. I know John O'Donovan in Cork was on to us yesterday uh, saying that this woman, uh, Lisa Smith, uh, went to Syria of her own free will and should not be allowed back to this country. John makes the point that she is army trained And if she's still radicalised, she could do serious damage here because of her military training and her military background. Well, the Taoiseach has come out and has made the point that travelling to Syria is in itself not a crime. And he's confirmed that this Irish woman detained in Syria on suspicion of ISIL membership will be allowed to return home. And he says because it is the compassionate thing to do. In the United Kingdom, they're taking a very different view to particularly those three young girls, those three young 15-year-olds who went over. They've had their citizenship revoked. Anyway, that's not going to happen here. Lear Varadkar has moved to assure the public that a full security assessment would take place before Lisa Smith would be allowed back into the country. But he has pointed out that she's as an Irish citizen. She will not be left to fend for herself in one of the world's worst war-torn Regions. Now it came out at the weekend that uh, an extraordinary story and it really is an extraordinary story of Elisa Smith because she had been a member of the Irish Defence Forces. She then converted to Islam. She then emigrated to uh, Syria and now following the death of her husband who she met abroad the 37 year old now wants to return home to Ireland and she has a two year old uh, son. Now I was reading a piece by Paul Williams in the Irish Independent, the journalist Paul Williams, and he made some very interesting points. He says, as a fully-fledged Irish-born citizen, she is protected by the Constitution and therefore, because of that, the Irish state cannot refuse her right to return to this country, regardless of her involvement on what everyone would say ISIL is a pretty horrific organisation that's been responsible for torture and murder on an epic scale. Uh, Paul says that the, the first major issue that the Irish security services will want to clear up is to establish exactly what the former so- soldier was actually doing over the past four years when she was living in the ISIL stronghold and in the event that Lisa Smith is deemed not to have been involved in any crimes against humanity then obviously she would be escorted back to this country. The question she will face then most upon her return is how and why 
she became so vulnerable to radicalisation in the first place. How did she end up in a war zone, married to a member of ISIL, a profoundly misogynistic cult which has kidnapped and enslaved female victims and subjected them to unimaginable barbarity? There's so many questions. And in, you know, and regardless of how you feel, I mean, we all, I think, feel the same about uh, ISIL. And there, I think it's one of these issues that people are very divided upon. Some people feel the stance that's been taken by the United Kingdom in not allowing that young girl who appeared on nearly all of their TV channels with her baby who subsequently died, her little baby died at the weekend. She initially appeared pregnant, wanting to return home at 19. She's been there since she was 15, kind of saying, I've made a mistake, I want to go home and now I've got a... And then she had her baby and then she appeared on camera with the baby and uh, she wants to bring her baby home and then the baby's died at the weekend but subsequent to the baby dying, the... English government withdrew her citizenship and basically left her stateless even though her family were fighting for her uh, return at home. Some people felt that that was the right move on behalf of the United uh, Kingdom um, and saying that that's what should happen to Lisa Smith and others are saying no, would be on the side of uh, Leah Varadkar and saying it is the most humane thing to do. She is an Irish citizen. Her son by nature that his mum is Irish, is an Irish citizen and that she deserves to come home. The one thing I do think about, and it's either Norway or Sweden do, when when they end up in a situation like this where one of their own says, you know, I've been here, I've changed my mind, I want to come home. When they bring them home, they are under intense scrutiny, obviously. But they get to the bottom of how and why the person was radicalised in the hope that you could learn from it and in the hope that no other man, or in this case woman, would be radicalised in the same way. So could we look at it that way? Could Lisa Smith be looked at as, yes, bring her back and find out, find out exactly what made her go from having this pretty normal life in Ireland and a pretty structured life. The fact that she was in the army and she was in the Air Force as well because I know she was on the government jet. I mean, Linda Kenny came out of the weekend and said she was a lovely, really nice person when she'd been on the government jet, worked on the government jet when he was at Taoiseach. And, you know, people have come out and are speaking highly about her. So, you know, let her come home. Um, she certainly would have to be de- Radicalized to make sure that, you know, she's no longer a threat. I don't know, has John got a point to the fact that she has military training? Would that, would she have to have a different type of work done to de-radicalise her and make sure that, you know, it's completely out of her system and can we learn from from her. So whose side of the fence are you on? Would you be with somebody like John? And I have to say, John isn't on his own. We do a number of other people feeling the very same way, saying this woman, you know, she was an intelligent woman in her 30s. She wasn't a little slip of a, ch- of a teenager who didn't know any better. She should have known better. She should never have done. She should never have gone uh, over... Um, too serious. She should never have joined uh, ISIL and therefore because of that she should be left there and we should revoke her citizenship. Or are you with Leo Varadkar on this one and saying it is the compassionate thing to do. She is an Irish citizen. We need to bring her and her little son home. Your thoughts welcomed on that. 1850-333-103. And a little bit of good news for Dennis, one of our callers, who contacted us last week on the programme because he was without a landline. He and I think six other 
people who lived in the terrace of houses where he lives in Mallow because the phone wire had been caught by a truck that had hit the wire and snapped it and they were without uh, phones and it isn't the first time that it, that it has happened. He got onto air. He really was having absolutely no luck with air at all. We contacted air on Friday uh, after Dennis joined us and they said that they would look into it and they came back to us yesterday because Dennis got onto us yesterday to update us and say we're still in same situation. Well, he did admit that they had removed the wire out of the neighbour's garden, but that he was still he was still without a landline, as was some of his other neighbours. And we were waiting on a response from Air. We did get a response yesterday afternoon to say from Michelle in Air to say I spoke with the repair team who were updated on the issue and have completed the survey and necessary repairs. Service is scheduled to be restored tomorrow, tomorrow being today. So we contacted Dennis this morning. He was still without a phone at that stage, but he's just got back on to us in the last half an hour uh, to say the air problem has now been fixed. And all is good in the world again for the Thomas Davis Street area of Mallow. The phones have been restored until another truck decides to pass and rip it out. Hopefully that won't happen again any time soon. So uh, good, uh, good, good news. Good to have a good bit of uh, happy ending to that particular story. And Mike Kelly got back to us. We had Mike on the programme was a Thursday or Friday of last week. Mike joined us. He was the coin and stamp expert and he was going to the Over 50s Expo show in Cork. And we were, because we got a huge reaction to people who had dug out old coins and old notes. And it was, I was, bog, it was mind boggling listening, listening firstly to the knowledge that Mike Kelly has just completely off the top of his head. He wasn't, you know, he didn't have to flick through books or check up online. He had all of this knowledge stored in his head. But what really amazed me was that some of the coins that were very, very old, like including a coin that had dated back to the 1200s, wasn't worth anything like a coin that might have been only come from the 80s or the 90s. There was some rare coins minted at the time and they were the ones that were really making the big money. Anyway, he got back on to us this morning to say that he had a fantastic weekend at the Expo in the City Hall. Great success. And he managed to see over 130 people over the two days. He has now taken with him a collection of silver coins for auction. There's also a gold half sovereign that he's putting up for auction and a ploughman one pound note that I don't know if that was the one we were contacted by a lady who had the ploughman one pound note that I know Mike was very interested in so I don't know if that is one and the same so he just wants to say hi and thank you to everybody who took time out to join him over the weekend at the expo in the city uh, hall and just a quick one on well, this is on the grants. When we spoke about the grants earlier on, when we were uh, talking about the, the new grants that are now available, a lot of money has been uh, 5.8 million for housing adaptation grants for older people and people with a disability in Cork. And we were celebrating the fact uh, that the money is now available and encouraging people to apply. Uh, firstly, a text in to say that grants are never repaid that somebody was wondering if you got all the work done and then the person who you were getting the work done for died would you have to repay the money no categorically that does not happen but then Ross contacted us from the Musgrave area to say she got one of those grants to upgrade her house but she thinks it's all a bit of a racket and she has a story to tell she was getting her bathroom refurbished she was quoted nine and a half thousand euro the council accepted the quote and then Ross had to pay 10% of the overall amount that's how the grant scheme works 
Lo and behold, her niece in the city was getting the same type of work done in her house, but her niece was only quoted €5,000. She thinks there's something wrong with the system that they can pay out that kind of money. She she feels, this was in her opinion, that the contractor added the price of the grant onto the quote. She also then noticed when all the work was completed that there was no extractor fan put into her bathroom. She questioned it with the council official who said that it wasn't covered in the grant. But Roz read the contract and the fan was included. So she got back onto the contractor, asked for her fan to be installed. Contractor came back and sorted it out. She feels the contractor was trying to get away without doing it, only that she noticed it. But she was taken aback that she feels she was charged almost double, which she personally wasn't, but the grant was Okay, a couple of things on that. Do you not pick your own contractor or are you saying that the council nominated a contractor? I thought you pick your own uh, builder and if that be the case, do you shop around? Do you get the best quote? Was it the exact same work? You know, all work is different. A contractor would put in a different quote. Could it depend on the type of equipment that was used? I mean, I'm assuming that the that the council that those grants are vetted and highly vetted that they're they're not paying out on the double. I know Ross has her suspicions. I don't know if anybody else is suspicious like that. All I would say is, if you thought your quote was too high, did you get a quote from anybody else, or did you take? Did you take the very first quote that you were actually given? Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. Bernie taking your calls for John Paul. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Age Action will be running beginners computer classes for over 55s in Bantry Community College. They will commence on the 12th of March and run for five weeks. Individual one-to-one tuition is free of charge but you need to register. To register text Julie on 087 1956026 The Convent Primary School in Mallow are holding their open evenings evening on Thursday the 26th of March giving advanced warning on uh, this uh, it's a it's and it will be on from 7 until 8.30 the school offers classes from 1st to 6th class a learning resource class and classes for children with, on the autistic spectrum enrolments though are now open at the school office 022-42211 tickets are available for Ballyhago's Dancing which takes place in the Charleville Park Hotel next Saturday tickets on sale from Ballyhale National School Cost Cutters Corporate Court Restaurant and the Charleville Park Hotel. The Thomas Kent Pipe Band in Formoy celebrating its 60th anniversary this year and they're inviting past members of the band to march behind their specially made banner at the Formoy Parade. If you're interested, can you give Noreen a call at 086 8989. And a Dementia Awareness Evening will be held in the Northridge Education Centre in Mahan. That's happening this Thursday between seven and half past eight. No need to book, just simply call in. And an evening with the wonderful Joanna Reardon is being organised by Kinsale Youth Support Services, taking place at Kinsale Hotel, that's the formerly the McDonald Hotel, on this Thursday from half past seven, a must for all parents of teenagers and young people. This is the Court Today replay on C103.
Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. And I want to go to the phone lines where Paddy O'Brien of the Over 60s Talent uh, Show joins me on this uh, Tuesday afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Paddy. Good afternoon, Patricia. Uh, you're in your 43rd year and you have a gig coming up in, is it Mitchellstown this Thursday? Well, well, uh, this Thursday, Mitchellstown, yes. And um, this is their second year getting involved, which was really... For many, it's a sad occasion because he's a very popular man down there. He's a great activist, um, Tim Rancher White. He was yeah. organising it for me, and unfortunately, regrettably, that he passed away last week. I was so, so uh, saddened to hear that news because he was well, a lovely man. Great, uh, and, a lovely. and what a loss to the community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a lovely man, and his commitment is dedicated to everything he spoke about. He was genuine and sincere, a man with tremendous qualities. And he rang me about four days before his uh, before his death. And he asked me about the over 60s. No, he said, I won't be there. And he told me his daughter-in-law was taking over as chairperson, uh, Helen Weiss, and then Anna Gorman. And it, it must go on regardless. He didn't use the words, but I know what he meant if he yeah. had passed away. He said, it must go on. It must go on, Paddy. And I love this expression to everybody. He'd always finish up. He'd say, goodbye, Paddy O'Brien, and God bless you. You know, ah. I love a lovely, lovely man. So we're having a hope. Please go up and have a good night. And it's on at Jackie O'Brien's Lounge in Mitchestown. And um, it's confined, not confined to Mitchestown. It's for the whole county. And then if you can sing your dance, come along or contact Helen White or uh, Anna O'Gorman in the meantime. And then on the Friday, the 29th of March, we're in Kilbrin. And now that's the north. We're holding the North Cock Heath in Kilbrin. Now, I must say this. I love Kilbrin. I'm using this expression in a very nice way. There's nothing there. There's no garden station. There's no petrol cabin. There's no shop. There's, there's no pub. It's just a beautiful social centre there. And the people have great hearts down there. And I go, down, we get a great reception? It's a lovely village. It's, I suppose, about 10 miles from Kentuck, approximately. So Tom O'Reilly, the chairperson, and Claire Bottomer, they're down there on Stephen Roach, organising for the night. It's going to be a lovely night. And what I'm always asked about um, the competition, is it singing only? And this applies now to uh, Mitchestown and uh, Kilbrain and Yall on the 3rd of, um, of the month, of next month. It's not a combined to sing. Uh, you can sing or dance or play an instrument or tell a few funny stories as long as you have some talent. The only rule would be, uh, Patricia, provided a person is 60 years and more. Okay. And, and yeah. there's, no, there's no upper uh, age limit. So, no. uh, so Thursday night will, Thursday night will very the, much be dedicated to the memory of... Oh yes, oh, yes. Oh, yeah. and that's for definite. That is for Yeah, that's really nice. And, that's, I'm so glad. I'm so glad to hear that it's going ahead. It's going okay, ahead. And, I went. I and, went down to his removal. Sorry, sorry, Patricia. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. Um, I went down to his removal. Yeah. And down down to his uh, daughter's home, and um, I went to a lot of funerals of important people in Cork. I never had to walk so far with a crowd. I'll never forget it. The people that were there at four o'clock in the evening. And they've been done all day. And then at his removal on the day, the following day, on the Wednesday, was a pipe band. And he got a great send up. He was a really lovely, lovely, sincere man. He was. Lovely. He was. May he, he rest in peace. But he was sincere and genuine. And his, um, he always spoke so well, nicely about everyone, everyone, everyone. Everybody, every person I spoke, oh, yeah, he's a nice person. She's a nice lady. Everyone's nice. And he was a real, real gentleman. So 
We're looking forward to knowing on Thursday night at Jackie okay. O'Brien's. We're going to have a lovely evening and the, the wife's family will be there. The daughters and the sons and the grandchildren, they'll all be there, please God. And before we let you go, heartiest congratulations. You had a great uh, night <laughs> out at the weekend <laughs> when you picked up Corconian of the Year for 2019. I did. I did what a great honour. Thank God, yeah, it was, yeah. I, and I said, thank God, and I mean this without sounding um, patronising. I say, I thank God for my health every day. Yeah. I am eight years of age. I celebrated my 80th birthday last September. And four days before that, I walked out to Blarney. I have great health. I have great health. Uh, in the work what I'm do involved, you put that down to? Um, the, the good health. I suppose, I suppose a healthy lifestyle, really. I mean, I worked in the Heart Foundation for 20 years. I was giving talks around the country. And I said to people, look after your body. Most men, and I hope the men are listening to this, most men in Ireland, Patricia, pay more attention to their, to their cars yeah. than to their own health. If you were to do a vote this morning, how many people, of the many thousands, listen to your programme from Castletown, Bairdown to Tronwell, how many men know their blood pressure, their cholesterol? When, when were they at a doctor last? And people must realise this, that if, if everyone went to their doctor once a year, had their blood pressure cholesterol check, we could reduce the sudden death rate by 20%. Now, and that conjunct your question. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, I don't, I work, I must say this, because you asked me an honest question, I'm going to be honest. I work on the over 60s from October, last October, and it's on, it's on a daily basis, you know? Mm-hmm. It's on a daily basis. Now I work a lot of pressure. But then I have um, life, lifestyle, I do a lot of walking, I watch what I'm, what I'm eating. Um, do you drink? Yeah, do you enjoy drink? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I love, um, I love a pint of Heineken, a pint of Guinness, okay. or ten a pint. Sometimes would be pints. Yeah, you know what I mean. At a function last week, I wouldn't drink. I have a rule about drinking. I never go, to, I never go to a function at a reception after three drinks. I don't take part, uh, none whatsoever. And at my function last week, no, no, I wouldn't touch drink at all. You know, okay. on a free night of doing anything, I go to a bar. And I, um, I was always going to have had um, loyalties to Guinnesses because my father, my father worked in Guinnesses. And speaking about Guinnesses, I told the people this last Friday night, Patricia, my, my, my mother, my mother came from Mill Street, O'Ban, and my father from Ballinadee, and he was transferred to Dublin, and he was transferred back, back again. This is all relevant. And after three weeks, I was born in Cork with my twin brother, my late brother. Now, if I was born three weeks earlier, I wouldn't have got the cock on of the year. I'd be a Dublin Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> you come from good stock. That's the important thing. Listen, on, yeah. a lot, long may you continue with uh, your great health and the great work that you do. And I know while we see the great work you do with the over 60s, I'm also very aware of the, the work that you do behind the scenes with older people and combating loneliness. And you, you are an inspiration to so many people. Thanks, and uh, it is an honour to have you on the programme as always. And we'll talk again soon. God bless and look after yourself. Take care, take care. The wonderful Paddy O'Brien. Hard to believe that that man is uh, 80. He's he's incredible, credible energy. 1850-333-103. Anthony, this is on the ISIL Bride and um, uh, Lisa Smith. Anthony says, uh, this was no vulnerable young girl who was brainwashed. She knew exactly what she was doing as an only Irish citizen, though we have no choice lawfully but to allow her back in. Yeah, she's protected by the Constitution. On school bags, on the weight of school bags, I was just thinking about the weight of all the school bags that you were discussing earlier on, Patricia. Supposing the school provided bags with wheels with the school emblem on it so that all the children would use it. It's a little bit like not all children like 
like to wear uniforms, but they know that they must because it's a school rule. That way, the trend of trolley bags would catch on because everyone would have to use it and it would become the cool thing rather than the uncool thing to do, which is what people are complaining about this morning. And Eileen and Clan says, good morning, Patricia, on the school bag weight. It is ridiculous. A st- over stone in weight for an eight-year-old child. I thought every school kept the unneeded books for homework in school. I've never heard of children in primary school bringing home every school book every night. It is madness. I would suggest to that parent that she goes and talks to the uh, school. I suppose it varies from school to school. Some schools, that's what they do. They they force, the, they, they don't have the facilities in the school to store the books so all the children have to bring them home. And on Conor McGregor and somebody earlier saying it was disgraceful behaviour, Texas says, what was Conor McGregor doing at a, leaving it at a hotel at 5am in the morning if he didn't want to be photographed leaving? In my opinion, maybe he didn't eat his Weetabix at home. And to celebrate St. Patrick's Day, just been around the corner, we have two more Irish books to give away. We have Historical Irish Oddities. It's a compendium of extraordinary but True Tales by Alan Foster. It's a lovely read. And then a beautiful book uh, called Irish Aaron. Irish uh, our history, tradition and uh, fashion. And uh, the Irish don't just write poetry, they knit it. And it's a book all about the history of Aaron and Aaron Jumpers. And it's just, it's beautiful. And I really hope whoever gets their hands on this book is either a lover of knitting Aaron or they know somebody that they can pass it on to. So a caller five will win the historical Irish oddities and caller Six gets the Irish Aaron history, tradition, and uh, fashion. Get dialing on those, please. 1850 In the meantime, Joe Heffernan uh, joins us on this Tuesday afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon. As, as we await Storm Gareth yeah. to hit, it's kind of calm. Is it calm where you are at the moment? Is it yeah, wind yeah, starting to I build? I hope it isn't the calm before the storm. I know, I know. We, I, we've I, had I, enough of that. Yeah, I have that sense as well. Okay, yeah. we're going to talk about anger today. Mm. And you want to talk about the, the three types of anger. First, I mean, we all get angry. I mean, totally. Yeah. I mean, it's, isn't that fair to say? You can't go through life without getting angry. Yeah, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with being angry. What's important is how you manage the anger, like how, how you handle it. And, I mean, we read in the papers and we hear on the telly and we hear on the radio about awful happenings, um, stabbings, deaths, um, you know, um, anger gone out of control. Um, and while with most of us, uh, thank God, nothing like that happens, um, but we, we can... We, we, we can upset ourselves and loved ones with that. Um, before we start, I was just going to say that it was great to see at least 12 people between the bridge and the race course in Mallow last Saturday. I was driving by, picking up and filling these blue-green bags with rubbish that people had thrown on the road. And I was going to just say, well done. Possibly the Tidy Towns crew, of which our own Bernie, who's producing today, is a member. I don't know if she was out uh, or not, but yeah, we have a fantastic, um, I've just been told by Bernie that that was Tidy Towns. Yeah. Uh, I just think the, and we have Tidy Towns groups all over the, well, all over the country, but particularly in Cork, going out cleaning up other people's rubbish. It's and just... the people in Borbury and the Tidy Towns do extremely well as yeah. well. Unfortunately, it doesn't extend as far as our little road, the L1035. Walking the other day, you won't believe this, 
uh, spread out in one's 17 wine bottles and the usual um, uh, stuff thrown out, cans. Um, out the, the window of a car. Yeah, the, yeah. the, the thing is that hold the burger, the... Um, the styrofoam yeah the wrappers and all of that um, yes. shocking 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 every kind of thing all right, yeah, well, there yeah, was a we big... seem to be at a point in the journey where a burger just about gets finished or something like that and uh, it's often literally littered with stuff but anyway shocking yeah. uh, and actually the tidy towns were doing it that there's a big there was a big race coming up so they were they were going out to make it as clean as possible well, so, they were doing so, a fantastic so well done. job can I just say to people you can stop calling us we have our winners for the books uh, Maureen O'Gorman in Silver Springs and uh, Bridget Ra- Rass I think it is in uh, Donnerell who's very fond of knitting oh thrilled I'm delighted you because it's, it's okay. a lovely book so, sorry anyway let me go back to Joe uh, Anger yeah. so talk so inappropriate and appropriate okay okay so we, we'll talk about three types of anger passive aggressive and assertive now the first two are inappropriate ways of expressing anger uh, passive and aggressive and what are those well a few examples would of passive would be the silent treatment. Um, you you often quote. Um, uh, were we talking about the field as a film and a and a book? Yeah. Or, or uh, were you talking about an example from real life about some couple who hadn't spoken? Yeah. For yeah. Years? It was it was this God knows it was only thirty years ago. I interviewed a woman who um, shared a story with us of being married. And raising a family, and her husband hadn't spoken directly to her something like thirty years. Like it, and her, her entire family had been raised, um, you know, including when the children were young. Um, he'd speak to the children, and then as the children left, he would leave notes. Right. Silence, just complete. Yeah. And yeah. I and I remember saying to her what happened, and she said it was a row. She said, I don't even remember what the row was about. Yeah, yeah, which is often the way. So like. That kind of silent treatment. Um, you know the old um, sentence we hear now and again, um, we're not talking. And, um, and it's not good to be not talking. So that kind of silent treatment um, of I'm, I'm angry with you, but I'm not telling you why. You can see from my face that I'm uh, angry, but um, uh, uh, you can be wondering what you've done wrong. And I'm not telling you. That kind of thing. A biggie, biggie, of course, would be resentment. That would be, you know, our, our phrase that we always use. Um, drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Mm. Um, bringing around a resentment in your heart, which is ruining your day. And the person that you're resenting mightn't even be aware that you are in the world at that particular time. So your day is ruined and the other person is probably having a jolly fine day. Absolutely. So resentments are bad. And um, uh, maybe as a follow-up to this someday soon, we we might um, get into talking about um, uh, a a, a sort of, (laughs) I use it that way, a sort of forgiveness. um, Forgiveness for ourselves. Mm. I suppose, like, backbiting is a type of passive behaviour. It's like I'm not saying anything to the person's face, but I'm knocking them to my friends and neighbours, 
which I think is a bad thing. Yeah, you're angry with somebody. You're not going to face up to why you're angry. So behind the person's back, you're putting them down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that can happen in work. Yeah. In a, in a work yeah. environment. Yeah, yeah and not, of course, not it, good. Um, it poisons the, the atmosphere yeah. of the environment. Now, getting in digs, um, yeah, little, little, little hurtful, little tiny little remarks that, um, that, that hurt. Um, uh, I, I suppose one could argue, is that a kind of a crossover between passive and aggressive? Um, mutterings would be the same. Mutterings would definitely be passive, I'd say, because you're kind of going around muttering and, um, the other person, like, uh, knows once again that you're well angry about something, but they're not being told how they have transgressed. Um, no eye contact. Like, um, you know, uh, I'm passing the person in a home, in, in, in one's own home, but uh, I'm looking at the wall left, or I'm looking at the wall right, or I'm looking at the floor, but I ain't telling them why I'm angry at them. Uh, that's the same as the long face, like, without explaining it. Uh, put-downs. Um, uh, again, a little bit of a crossover there between um, passive and aggressive. Um, you know, little little things. It can even be something like, you know, huh, kind of thing. Uh, somebody says something and they expect a sort of um, a reasonable verbal uh um, uh, observation will say on on what they've heard, but what they get is a kind of a huh, and uh, th- th- that's that's not nice. Um, and I suppose we could sum up a lot of doors by calling them the cold treatment, getting the cold shoulder, which isn't nice. Um, now, I suppose if one had to grade them uh, up the scale from passive would be the aggressive. Like I referred to at the start, when bad, bad stuff happens, like at its extreme, at the top of the list, would be physical violence. Um, It needn't be dramatic. It needn't be something that's going to make the six o'clock news. It could be a shove. It could be, um, uh, well, there isn't any way to put nice words in it. Physical violence, it, it sort of speaks for itself. Um, uh, the next kind of one down the line after the pushing or shoving or, 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 or physical violence would be verbal abuse. Um, you know, shouting, loud voice, uh, threatening someone, uh, going around the house and um, leaving the room by slamming the door. Um, that's all aggressive behaviour, and and it's an inappropriate way of um, of expressing anger. And it usually um, it resolves nothing. It probably makes Tuesday worse than Monday, and Wednesday worse than Tuesday. Like it it doesn't um, it doesn't solve anything. Humiliating remarks, in insulting stuff, um, foul language, and name calling would be under the same thing. Um, you know, turning the the uh, the CD, although I don't know if you can get players for that anymore, where I believe now if you're getting a car, you nearly have to special order to have a CD player. I, I'm... Ah, anyway. Technology. 
But the playing loud music is what you're, is what you're alluding music, to. Playing loud music would be better. Ignoring a person. Now, I, I suppose that would nearly come under mainly, uh, sorry, mainly um, passive. Um, just ignoring someone. Someone speaks to you, they're talking about something, there's a point they want to make or something like that, and you just ignore it or you walk away. And um, and that is, um, you know, um, uh, not an appropriate way of showing um, anger. Uh, blaming the person. Now, harming objects or breaking them, you know, when the coffee cup hits the wall, or um, uh, a thing you'd hear about now and again would be um, uh, a phone um, either crashing off the floor or hitting the wall. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's very aggressive. Very, very, very aggressive. extremely aggressive. Yeah. Now, I, I don't know if the next one um, should really be under the heading of the passive anger, um, or it's a kind of a bit of a crossover again, but it's using money as power over a person. Um, you know, uh, traditionally, you know, that would be the male um, out earning and um, and 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 the female at home um, not uh, being always uh, short of money. Well, that's having control, isn't it? It's, it's uh, a control issue, Patricia. Yeah, you're, you're spot on. Yeah, which 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 I know, like Women's Aid and that are talking a lot about that of late. That, yeah, that type of control in in abusive relationships. Yeah, psychological abuse, like yeah. um, as well. Yeah, yeah, making the other person look small. Little slighting remarks, if that's a, a proper um, adjective. But anyway, remarks that, that 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 make the other person look small, you know. Um, and the other one then would be refusing to forgive. That if things have happened, and uh, and if time has passed, and uh, then you know one should consider: is it time to let this go? So. They'd be the passive and aggressive, then it'd be the two sorts of anger that resolve nothing and that are what we'll call inappropriate. So, what do we do then with our anger? Well, the third one then is assertive anger. And basically, it's quite simple. Um, Assertive anger means telling the other person how you feel in a calm way. Now, we'll talk a good bit in that about I statements. Um... I felt upset when you, whatever. Um, I felt angry when such a thing that the other person did. Um, But once you start with the pronoun I, you're sort of on safe ground because you're not saying you made me angry. You're saying I felt angry when. Mm. And you're owning your anger and you're uh, starting with, we, we, we'll call them I statements. You're always pretty safe with I statements. Um, even on a night out, um, it can be like, look, I'm feeling a bit put out. I, I'm feeling a bit angry because, uh, you know, something like you seem to be talking to everyone else in the room and um, and and I'm here on my audio um, feeling um, left out. Fair enough, um, I'm feeling. Yeah. And then to stick to the one issue, that if you want to bring up something that is making you angry, with the I statements to kind of, to stick to the issue, um, and not to suddenly be into, and I remember 
um, six months ago oh, such a thing yeah, happened. The worst thing you can do. Yeah, yeah, bringing up old stuff. Once it's gone, let it be gone, you know? Mm-hmm. And to be able to state as well, Patricia, maybe the degree of anger. I mean, there's a big difference between um, I, I felt irritated. Um, you know, you, you'll kind of get past that, I think, fairly easily. I felt irritated. But I was extremely angry and upset is is kind of, is, is way up the hierarchy there. And that's fair enough because, you know, you're stating the degree of anger that you were feeling at the time and you're using the I statements. Um, it's when you're into you that 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 is possibly a row. Okay. Like, you know. We, we, we might return to this issue as always. We run out of time. The listener wants to know would Joe consider doing a piece on children's anger? I don't know if children's anger differs from adult anger but it might be something that we will, we'll, we'll be able to look at. But we leave it there, Joe. We can think so, um, yeah. have, a, have a lovely St. Patrick's weekend. And the same. And we'll talk to you next Tuesday yeah. after the bank holiday weekend. God bless. That uh, is uh, Joe Heffernan who runs a counselling practice in Bohabwe. His number is 029 And that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to Bernie Murphy who produced John Paul will be back with us uh, tomorrow.